the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. And remember, you can always download the podcast from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you'll not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Janelle Barlow, an award-winning speaker, trainer, consultant, and author who translates research into practical tools to improve customer service and complaint handling. She works with customer service representatives, managers, and entire companies, both nationally and internationally, to help them recover and retain customer loyalty, which is what we'll be talking about today. And she has recently released the third edition of her bestseller, A Complaint is a Gift, How to Learn from Critical Feedback and Recover Customer Loyalty. Janelle Barlow, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. So, you know, as we have this conversation at the end of January, uh, you know, it's important to look very uh, strategically at our businesses. The 2020 National Customer Rage Study reported that when complaining, 58% of customers got no or limited satisfaction from their efforts, while 65% left with rage and frustration. Wow, that's pretty staggering. So many, uh, many people see Americans as just a bunch of whiners, but according to your research, a very small number of people actually speak up about complaints. Why is this so, Janelle? Well, there's, we look at the person that we're complaining to, and our brain makes a quick assessment. Is this person going to be able to do anything? And, in, in, you know, because of how people get staffed in organizations, they frequently put a face in front of the customer who looks new, looks fresh, doesn't have the skill set to do something like this. So we look at this person, we analyze them, we do a quick assessment. Is this person going to help me? Yes, no. And if the answer is no, there is a strong, why waste my time? We're all busy. Why waste my time? And we have a tendency to walk away when that happens. Or we just say, I'm nothing, it's nothing, we're gone. And what the, what the company does, and this, one, this is what's really important to business, what the company does is it leaves money on the table because that customer, based on that research that you were starting to quote, that research indicates people will just walk away and then you've lost that business because most of the cost of getting that customer, most of the cost is in getting the customer there in the first place. So it's like, just let's just leave some money on the table and not take it with us. And that's, that's a crazy way to do business in my estimation. 
No question about it. Absolutely. So uh, again, I know you're arguing that we should want to hear customer complaints because it can make us better. So why is it that so many people see complainers as gripers, whiners, and so on? Uh, You know, why is a complaint seen as negative? Shouldn't that feedback um, be a positive learning lesson for a business? Well, that's exactly the way to put it. Uh, part of it is is our upbringing. You know, we hear a lot of those expressions when we're young, at least in the United States, and that is if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And, uh, you know, we we hear that when we're – I remember hearing it as a child. I remember hearing it from teachers. I remember hearing it from my parents. And uh, so now here I am in a situation, should I say anything? And there's I, – I have done uh, ex- exercises in classes where I ask groups of people to make up all the reasons, a list of all the reasons why they don't complain. And it's extraordinary that things that they list, I mean, things like, oh, this, the person reminded me of my nephew and I like him. Uh, so I'm not going to say anything to him. Uh, you know, just, you, you wouldn't believe the number of thoughts that go through a person's mind. I mean, just look at yourself the next time you don't complain. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to be in front of people and seeing that I'm upset. You know, whatever. It just goes on. I've had groups come up with over 100 reasons why they don't complain. And all of them seem viable when you listen to them. Ah, so that's why they're not complaining. Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with the author of A Complaints is a Gift, How to Learn from Critical Feedback and Recover Customer Loyalty. That's Dr. Janelle Barlow, an award-winning speaker, trainer, consultant, and author. And um, certainly, uh, you know, you talk in your book a lot about emotional intelligence as an important component in handling complaints. So how can businesses expect their frontline staff to be emotionally sophisticated when so many are taking these types of jobs as their first work experience, how can you set them up for success? Well, they they really, if that's the case, they really need some training. They need some education, and they need education in emotional intelligence, how to show empathy, how to ask questions. But most importantly, with it's in the title of the book, A Complaint is a Gift. What do we do when we receive a gift? Well, our natural inclination, even if we don't want that gift, even if we look at that gift that somebody has given us and think, who can I re-gift this to? Or uh, I wonder, do they really buy, pay for for its full price or whatever? All the thoughts that we might have about this thing that we don't want. And I don't know, thank you. That's, that's our attitude. It's not really very positive. But if we get a gift, if we really understand the importance of that gift and what that means to that person who's giving it to us, we're likely to say, my gosh, thank you so much. This is wonderful. You shouldn't have. This is really wonderful. I love this. I love this. I mean, you're not going to say it that way to a customer, but to a customer, it sounds like this. You know what? That shouldn't have happened. We're better than that. I want to thank you for letting us know because it's the only way that we can improve. And what you're not saying is it's the only way you can keep their business too. And that's why we, need, we really need to adopt that mindset. I mean, completely that the only thing that's going on in the mind is this is a customer who's giving me feedback. So I have an opportunity to keep them. And the research is quite clear. Not only can you keep them, but you can keep them for the long haul. They become loyal customers for you. And why wouldn't any organization want that after you've spent all that money getting them mm-hmm. there? That's uh, absolutely 
Absolutely. And we were just chatting offline, Janelle, about Mm -hmm. uh, the change that has occurred in the midst of COVID. We were talking about travel, but certainly so much is happening online these days. What about complaints online? How are they different from complaints in person or on the telephone? And how are they shaping customer choices? Yeah, they are for sure. Uh, Well, people don't have the, you know, when you're standing in front of another person, you're a little your communication is different than when you're sitting at your computer typing in a note that's going to go online. So people do tend to exaggerate. They tend to be a little bit harsher when they're uh, online. Uh, I, and obviously, there are some people who are just making things up, but they're a very small percentage. It's about the same percentage as people who uh, cheat while they're complaining, and that's only about 4%. So it's not very much. You have to accept that person at their word. And then what you do is this. you uh, Lots of research on this using big data. What you want to do is respond to the negative complaints first, because what happens on all these platforms is those, once they've had a response, they start dropping down the list, and maybe they get to the second page. And most of comments, most people won't read into the second page. So you want to respond to the negative ones first, and you want to make as as specific a response as you can. You know, if they complain about the bed in a hotel room, you want to respond with that bed in your statement, something about it. Uh, and and that that doesn't happen that often. You, If you see, you'll get these scripted lines that are responses for complaints. And you can tell as a reader, when you look at them, you can tell they made, they just, they have a script that they use here. So. Uh, oh, for sure. You have to be real. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So, Janelle, we're getting close to the end of our time over here. And I know you pinpoint in your book, A Complaint is a Gift, How to Learn from Critical Feedback and Recover Customer Loyalty, that many businesses are actually setting targets to reduce the number of complaints that they receive. That seems to be a problem. What can you say about that? Well, if you say to your staff who's handling the complaints, I don't want to hear any more complaints about that, they will accommodate you because you are their biggest customer. You are the one who hired them and paid their salaries after all. So they will, uh, they won't tell you about those complaints. And I've talked with managers and organizations who have said that they've really paid a huge price for that because they no longer are hearing about what's not working in their business Uh Business managers have told me that they've lost lots of business when they pursued that. And then they changed that attitude. You don't want to ever let your frontline staff know you don't want to hear complaints unless it's reflecting something that's been wrong in the company and you're fixing it. That would be the only reason for doing that. Welcome those complaints. Have your frontline staff welcome those complaints. It's the best way to behave. Well, well, we've we've covered so much in this conversation, Janelle, but I think that perhaps the best homework that we can leave for business owners is to pick up a copy of the book and to get in touch with you. Janelle, how can we uh, find the book and where can we get in contact with you and your team? Yeah, well, the book is on Amazon. I don't know how far it's gotten into the bookstores. And uh, I can be reached at uh, Janelle at JanelleBarlow.com. And I have a web page, uh, www. A complaint is a gift. Uh, dot com, and you'll find all kinds of information there. Uh, lots of uh, content as to what we're doing, Great. and we just continue to add new things all the time. Great. Well, Janelle Barlow, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back and get down to business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, a show all about 
small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I am thrilled to be joined by one of the authors of Latinas in Finance uh, because we see ourselves represented um, certainly in many financial conversations that are taking place. But per the Economic Policy Institute in 2020, only 10% of Latinos are represented in management, business, and finance versus 18% of white women. That's why I'm thrilled to be joined by Imelda Rodriguez, who is one of the authors of this fantastic read. Imelda, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation and for such an honor to be part of these awesome conversation. Absolutely. So where did you get the concept of Latinas in, in finance? Why did you decide to dedicate so much time to this effort? <laughs> Actually, yes, it was a lot of effort, a lot of time and dedication into this project. And uh, just to go really into the point, like about two years ago, um, I know Jacqueline Camacho Ruiz, who is like a, an amazing, amazing entrepreneur. And being with um, like an author in one of her anthologies back in 2017, I got the opportunity to get to know her. And two and a half years ago, she started a new uh, Latina X series, right? Different topics on it. Uh, she started with Latinas in Aviation. And then at that point, like a few, like I would say like six months after, there was like Latinas, Latinas in social work, Latinas in HR. And at that point, I, I will say like by the, the third uh, Latinas in series, I was like, I know in my heart, like from the bottom of my heart, it was like this amazing idea of Latinas in finance is coming. That is going to be a reality. Um, so at that point, I called Jackie and I'm like, hey, Jackie, um, you know, I have the relationship with you. And I know this book is about to happen at one point. She started laughing and she was like, no, I don't have that yet. Like, you know, it's a thing that is not there yet. Um, and then after a couple of weeks, she called me back and she's like, hey, Melta, you know, actually, do you want to run this? And I was like, okay you're asking me for two different things. One thing is to write your story and be part of an anthology and very differently to run everything. So I was like, you know, like, oh, I have this opportunity in front of me. Um, I am a financial coach. So it was like so perfect, right, for me. And sure. I say, yes, I decide. I was like, yes, I'm on it. And that was a year ago. And we actually just um, launched the book last uh, like I would say like Thursday, January 19, and a lot of people embrace the movement because I call it a movement. This is not just mm -hmm. a book, it's a movement because Amazing. we are raising, you know, all of us, our boys, we're sharing these stories. So that's how Latino finance came. Well, congratulations, Amelda. This is amazing. And you and your authors are incredible, incredible uh, uh, folks that are really making a difference. So I'm curious to get into the nuts and bolts, as we say. Why do you think that Latinas aren't represented very much in financial fields? Yes, like that's, uh, there's too many things. I will say there's many obstacles, many barriers uh, in the education and workforce, right? Like there, there is many things already there. And, and we can talk about like, um, the pay gap, we can talk about our own culture, uh, sometimes language, sometimes it could be uh, documentation. It could be like many, many things like I can tell you in here. Uh, we can spend like another hour just to talk about those barriers and obstacles. Um, 
but I I know like if we start talking about this, like something is going to happen. And I believe this movement, this book is part of the solution. And that's what I, I aim in with this, to be part of the solution and to, um, you know, encourage other women to become part of this field if, you know, that is something they want to do. So if you had a crystal ball, Imelda, and you were to look at, you know, maybe seven years from now, 2030, I can't believe we're that close to it. But do you see Latinas entering this occupation in the future? Yes, 100%. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to do, again, with this book movement, is that we want to bring the, the next generation. So, we know like we we are going to do something for our current generation but then at the same time i'm gonna knock some doors in the universities in the high schools uh just to have that opportunity for all of us as an authors we are 18 uh in this anthology and i want to tell the new the future generation like hey this is possible you can do that and not just that we just we want to go to them and give them the inspiration, give them the motivation. But at the same time, something I am having as part of the conversation with the authors is that we want to create this scholarship to help those Latinas who they need something. You know, it's not just the inspiration and the motivation, but sometimes you need the financial part. So we are going to be the ones who are going to create this pot of money to give them back for them to continue and not just to continue, but to finish until they graduate, like if he's in, you know, like moving from high school to college, like the ones in college moving to the university and the ones in the university to uh, finally be part of the financial uh, industry. Um, So that 10%, I see it like increasing for sure, because, you know, this movement of Latinas in finance. Amazing. I'm chatting with another Arriga's who together with 18 authors have shared uh, stories of how they have built their careers while facing challenges and achieving success while working in various occupations within the financial industry. Melda, I know you're a Chicagoland financial coach with a business administration background, which is indeed very, very impressive. Um, But how does this book address some of the discrimination that has affected Latinas as some work in some low-paying jobs with uh, your incredible and of uh, 18 co-authors, I'm sure uh, you've come across a little bit of this. Yes, 100%. And the way that we're doing, like, first is, like, the 18 of us, like, we're working already in the financial industry, right? So by us being together, we, if each of us, we're writing a chapter. And in that chapter, you will find, like, how all of us, we overcome those barriers, how we... um kind of in the way, knock out those obstacles for us to be in the position that we are right now. And I'm talking about like, we are like uh, in, the, in, the, in the group, we have businesses consultant, insurance broker, tax professional, financial coaches, real estate investors, attorneys, agents, like you name it. And I know I don't have it all yet, so, um, you know, we, we're working for actually for the next volume, which is going to be volume T, volume two for us to bring more um, in the financial sec- sector. So each of us, we're talking about different things 
that happen in our life, in our story. And by us speaking up about that, like I know somebody else who's going to be reading our story. They're going to be like, oh, my God, I'm going through this. I know exactly what I could be able to do and overcome whatever situation is happening. So so that's the intention. So we are going to be the voice of the ones that are not raising their voice. And, and that opportunity uh, with this tool, which is going to be the book, again, is going to um, give some solutions into the problem. Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with Imelda Rodriguez, the uh, co-author of Latinas in Finance. And, um, you know, Imelda, we are all about uh, leaving people with a takeaway. So I'm curious, you know, for the readers of the book or the listeners of this program, what are you hoping that they take away from learning about these amazing, amazing women? Yeah, pretty much you're going to get the inspiration, the motivation. You're going to get ideas. And then on top of that, it's not just about like that Latina or um, actually it's not going to be just for, for Latinos. I know many other cultures are going to be able to read this book. Uh, but when you're going to these, all of us were giving a financial inspiration in each chapter. So even though you're going to learn something, right, that you're going to keep and like for you to manage your money. So all of us were giving something, a gem that is going to be um, supporting the, the reader. So this is about like how we're going to help you build generational wealth to, um, you know, just for you to work with your with your own money. It doesn't matter if you're working or if you're in business, like the book is going to help you with your with your money as well. Well, I can think of no more important question at this point uh, than asking how can we get in touch with you? How can we pick up a copy of the book, Imelda? Yes, so really easy. It's uh, available already in um, Amazon. So you go to Amazon at the search, you do Latinas in Finance, and you're going to see the book right there. We're the first one at the top. And then we do have a web page as well. If you want to know about like all of us, like the Latinas, who they are, their bio, how you can even connect with uh, independently with each of them is going to be going to www.latinasinfinance.com. And then we'll go from there. And um, yeah, that's what it is. We have a phone number email there. So very easy for people to find. Perfect. Latinasinfinance.com. Melda, really appreciate you inspiring us. We've got to squeeze in a quick break here on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am so excited to be joined by Miriam Mima, who has been a coach and facilitator for over 20 years, dedicating her life to studying the overlap between business and psychology. Miriam has coached founders and executives at hundreds of companies, including a dozen, one billion plus. Uh, and there's so much more that I can share all the credentials and so on, but I don't want to miss a minute of it. Miriam Mima, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So you have worked with so many companies and uh, again, that overlap between business and psychology. One of the things that I've heard you talk about on several other podcasts is preserving culture while you scale. So many of our, our listeners are small business owners and it's very easy to have that culture when it's just you yourself. Um, but as you grow, how do you keep that? How do you keep that same foundation that you started with? Yeah, well, it comes, it, first of all, you got to you got to figure out what's your special sauce. And it's almost, it's for founders, it's the hardest to really articulate it. And so often we need other people to be our thought partners or maybe some early 
employees to help us understand what is what's so special about what how we work together. And that's one way to think about culture is how do we do things here? And make sure you put it on paper. So this is more than values. It's a, it's a, it's it's about operating principles. It's about systems, processes, and so being able to articulate it. That's that's super important. And the other thing is to watch out for who you hire because um, people have outsized impacts on culture, and sometimes we overlook their personalities in favor of the work that they are able to deliver. That's the first and easiest way to erode your culture. So watching out sure. for that. I'll pause there because I could I could go on longer, but that's that's I'm sure, sure. Jackpot. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm chatting with Miriam Ima, um, and uh, I'm I'm inspired by everything that you've done, Miriam, and uh, appreciate those tidbits over there. But I know behind every influencer, which you certainly are, uh, there's a story. I know you're super passionate. I hear in your voice in, again, preserving that culture while you scale in that intersection between business and psychology. Miriam, how did you get started? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, I hadn't thought about it in a while. So thank you for this question. And I'm just flashing back to being Early in my career, I was actually a culture and leadership development consultant. So I already knew super early in my life, like I was 13 when people said you should become a business psychologist. So I don't know. There's there's something in how I'm wired that it's been this way the whole whole my whole life. But really, where I'm flashing back to is this moment when I realized as a consultant, we would be so often brought in by name brand companies, JetBlue, Clorox, Nintendo. We were working with all these cool companies and doing culture work. And I thought I was going to be able to help decision makers connect the dots between how they behave and how they treat people and bottom line success, which we know from research that the two are very linked. Culture and bottom line success are very linked. So I thought that's what I was going to be hired to do. And unfortunately, more often than not, there were people calling us in to kind of get a pretty board deck together right before their quarterly or annual board meeting. And so most people were in it for the wrong reasons. And it kind of broke my heart and my I became less naive and realized that I really wanted to dedicate my life to partnering with the decision makers that really were in it for the right reasons. And so that that's what's brought me to more to executive coaching and executive team development and making sure that I'm walking my talk and I'm really working only with the people who, who really are willing to be open-minded and figure it out for the right reasons. I love it. Uh, Miriam, you're, you're an inspiration. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to, uh, to, to hear your story and share it with our listeners. Uh, and, and I really, what I'm hearing from you is really that, that, balance of authenticity and effectiveness. And that's something you've spoken about before. Uh, and, and you've worked with, you know, billion dollar plus businesses, but you've maintained that same authenticity. What would you say is that has been the key to success? And what would you say is that key homework assignment, if you will, that you want to leave our listeners with as they hopefully get off to an amazing 2023? Yes, here's to 2023 being fantastic. Yeah, I really believe that myself and all leaders, we need to both be authentic and effective. And we can't do one abandon the other at any given moment because that makes it so it's not sustainable. Whatever impact that we're aiming for is unsustainable. So I would say the the number one homework assignment is becoming a student of yourself. I would say if you feel like you're new to cultivating a sense of self-awareness, which is step one, step two is situational awareness that you can be effective in terms of your impact. But step one is self-awareness. And so I would just start with tracking your energy levels and what are the natural ebbs and flows of your energy throughout the day and how can you start to anticipate those 
and you might need to drink more water or take uh, just five minutes in between meetings or take a deep breath before you go into a hard conversation or give yourself a pat on the back after you do something that was necessary part of the job, but it wasn't much fun. And so those are the little things that we can do any day that help us become more aware of ourselves. And that sure. will, that will be the authenticity angle. And, and Miriam, perhaps one of the most important homework assignments we can leave our listeners with is obviously getting in touch with you and learning more about you and your amazing practice. And I know you share a lot. So Miriam, how can we do that? Go to leaderswhosmile.com and hopefully the listeners can hear me smiling. And I believe that the most seasoned leaders are able to smile through the hardest things. And my goal in life is to make even the most junior leaders feel like they can do the same. Oh my gosh. I love that. Leaders2smile.com. I'm smiling. I hear your smile and we're only on the radio over here. I can't wait to bring you back on, Miriam. Thank you so much for sharing your smile and your passion and your expertise on uh, balancing that authenticity, maintaining that authenticity. And uh, again, here's an amazing 2023. We've got to squeeze in a quick, quick break here on this show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I am thrilled to be joined by Bill Bartlett, um, who is the author of The Sales Coaches Playbook, Cracking the Performance Code, because we know that to achieve their potential, salespeople need a skilled coach to guide their growth. And that's exactly what Bill talks about. Bill is the Executive Vice President of Franchise at Sandler and joins us here on the program. Bill, thanks for joining us on Get Down to Business. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I know you say in your book that the coach's job is to help through blind spots and performance so you can break free of beliefs and behavior patterns that are holding back higher performance. Um, so I guess what inspired you to, to write the sales coach's playbook when there are so many other books that have already been written on this topic of sales and sales coaching? Yeah, I, I have always had a coach in sports or in business as I was growing up and you know, about 27 years ago, I started a professional development business with Sandler. And here's what I found. I found that training wasn't enough to drive change. And so I went back to the roots of sports and, and really started to break down what are those elements other than skill that people work with me on. And what I found is classroom learning got people stuck. They would learn things. And when they would go out to do it, they would have questions and not be able to get them answered. And so what I learned over time, training import, impacts knowledge coaching develops wisdom. And so again, that wisdom is something that I found was lacking out there. The knowledge was there. There's a lot of great training on coaching from a knowledge standpoint, but the wisdom of application was missing. Definitely. So your playbook, I don't even want to call it a uh, a regular book. It's really a playbook and it teaches five critical elements to demystifying the coaching session. So you've already just highlighted, Bill, the importance of coaching, but I don't want to give away all the secrets, but what are some of those five key things that you want our listeners to know about and hopefully pick up when they buy a copy of the book, The Sales Coach's Playbook? Well, one of them is that coaching is a process, not an event. And many times people go to someone for coaching and it's a one-time event. They're hoping that the magic fairy dust is sprinkled on them and they all of a sudden become different, right? Or they change their ways and it doesn't work that way. What we know about human beings is it takes time for us to change. We all resist change in one form or another. So that's a key. And so 
that's one of them. Second, the concept of skills, knowledge, and application. You know, all our lives, we learn new skills. And many times we know what to do with those skills. But here's what happens. We don't apply them consistently. And so skills without skills and knowledge without application is kind of on deaf ears. 206020 is another one that, that, that is a key precept in the book. And that is 20% of people consider themselves high performers, 60% variable performers, and 20% are low performers. And here's what separates each of those groups. The choices that you're willing to make. The top 20 percenters or winners, as we call them, really make choices that others won't. And in those choices, they craft their spine. They, they steal their nature. And the last point, and then I'll, I'll turn it back to you, is the performance code is really based on behavior, attitude, and technique. Everybody should know the top 10 behaviors that they have to do in their, in their job or to be successful. Everybody should check their beliefs every day to make sure their beliefs support their behavior. And lastly, make sure that your skills are continuously sharp. So sharpen the, the, the sword every day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm learning so much already in this conversation. I'm chatting with Bill Bartlett, Executive Vice President of Franchise at Sandler. I know, Bill, you're an acclaimed coach, facilitator, uh, and you've excelled at identifying core challenges and implementing growth strategies that are transformative in depth. Uh, and that's why this is a fantastic read, The Sales Coach's Playbook. Um, so, you know, Bill, it's it's fascinating, especially as I've looked at a little bit of your career. Uh, you talked about your own sort of passion and that and and in uh, in need that you've identified in that world of coaching. Um, but what are some of the what was that aha moment for you when you realized, hey, these are the areas that that people need to learn whether they are a, uh, a first-timer in the world of sales or they've been doing this for decades like you have? Fifteen years ago, I, I, I can remember being with clients and asking them, what is it that you have to do to drive success? And, and you know, they would talk about training, and I would say, sure, you, we all need training, but what are those things that you're going to grade yourself on that say, if I'm a 10-level player in these behaviors, you will be successful? And most of them could name three. And so at that point, for salespeople and sales leaders, here's what I came up with. The top 10 behaviors that every salesperson needs to grade themselves on, on a 10 high, one low scale. And the first is lead generation and business development. Are they good at developing leads? Because without leads, you're sitting around empty rooms. Building relationships. We know the importance of building relationships and how critical that is in our growth qualifying opportunity so that we find out that everybody isn't qualified to do business with us, making presentations and raising our closing rate, servicing customers, account management, territory development, having a defined behavior plan where all of these 10 are implemented on a weekly basis, continuous education. I was shocked to find that most salespeople don't believe in continuous education. And lastly, being driven by methodology, whether it's sales or leadership, but making sure you're not living in a winged world. Those are the things that really came to me 15 years ago. And now uh, the, the great thing is that you're sharing them, uh, as we said, with both new sales managers as well as seasoned professionals in the second uh, edition of the Sales Coaches Playbook, where I know our listeners will learn insights and processes that can help to accelerate their learning curve uh, as a manager and extend the productive life cycle of best performers and help teams achieve at a measurably higher level. So we're going to have to squeeze in a quick break in a moment or so. 
Uh, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Bill Bartlett, Executive Vice President and Franchise at Sandler and the author of The Sales Coach's Playbook. But in the meantime, I encourage all of our listeners to check out our sponsors, Tom Urbali from HealthPlanChicago.com, HealthPlanChicago.com for all of your health insurance and affordable care act needs. You can also give them a call for a free consultation, 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, and we'll be right back. listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship check us out on your favorite podcast app you can subscribe rate review and share just search for get down to business and again make sure you leave that that review it makes it easier for uh, business colleagues to find out about the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship so i'm returning with bill bartlett executive vice president of franchise at sandler and the author of the sales coaches uh, playbook cracking the performance code, which is indeed what I know every single person tuning in to get down, get down to business wants to do. Bill, you've already shared uh, some of those five critical elements. Um, but if you're comfortable sharing, I'd love to learn about a success story, somebody that you that you know that has followed this process, that it's been able to work wonders for them. Yeah, well, it's an interesting story. A, a client of mine for a long time, a sales leader, um, who was at the top of his game, having the, the, the best career that you could have as a sales leader, hitting numbers, growing people, and something terrible happened. His son died of an overdose of heroin. And all of a sudden, his belief in himself, his belief in what he was doing was dinged because he felt he was a bad father. And so that dinging carried over into his business. And pretty soon, he went into a shell and, and you know, lost some of the things that he had as strong beliefs in himself. And so we spent time digging into some self-limiting beliefs and the negative self-talk associated with that. And obviously, he went to therapy, too. But the things that we worked on were the the separation of the fact that it, he, he he was a good father, but but things happen in life. And the bottom line is they were having a terrible impact on his performance. And so, you know, over the over the period of time we worked on, all of a sudden, he began to build his confidence back and you know, became the leader that he was before. Well, Bill, I appreciate you sharing that story and that's, that's inspiring. So what I always love to leave our listeners with is a homework assignment, something that they can do to put into action. It's especially relevant as we have this conversation at the end of January, uh, the beginning of the year, maybe New Year's resolutions are still appropriate. And uh, I know our listeners are nodding their heads vigorously listening to this conversation, but what would you recommend that they put into action today, this week, this month? In, in my book, I talk about the rule of three and two. And the rule of three and two is simply this. Every day of your life, you should be working on three professional goals. Those goals are designed to make you better at the job that you, the position you have, the career you have. And then two personal goals. The two personal goals are designed to keep your belief in yourself strong as you go forward. And so that rule of three and two says you're working on two ends of the issue, the business end of it and the personal end of it. And what we find too many times most people don't work on themselves. They spend 15-hour days working on their business to try to get better, yet they, neg they neglect themselves. And so that's one of those things that whenever I say it, there are a bunch of people that go out there and do it right away, and others kind of drag their feet because most people aren't goal setters. But I would highly recommend early in the year, give that a shot. Three professional goals every day and two personal goals. And then at the end of the day, do a historical review as to how you worked in both areas. I love it. And uh, perhaps the uh, the only remaining homework assignment that we could give to our listeners is to get a copy of your book. Bill, how can we do that? And how can we get in touch with you? 
Well, a couple of ways. When I'm on LinkedIn, I'm all over LinkedIn, and there's a lot of content that I place on LinkedIn every day. So please reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. My book is available on Amazon. The new second edition is just out, as well as on the Sandler website at the Sandler shop. So there are a couple of places you can get it, and I'd love to hear some feedback once you do buy it. Well, I know it's a great read, and I know it will uh, dramatically impact, as we said, uh, both for new sales managers as well as seasoned professionals. And it's the revised second edition of the Sales Coaches Playbook written by our guest, Bill Bartlett, Executive Vice President of Franchise at Sandler. Just search for it and you'll find the book. Uh, and definitely, uh, again, make sure you get in touch with Bill and make sure you get in touch with me on my website, shalomkline.com. We'd love to hear what you thought of this week's show. We've had some great guests on the program. Uh, certainly, we've uh, we've chatted with Janelle uh, Barlow, Melda Rodriguez, Bill Barlett, and, uh, and Miriam Melma. A great conversation all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. As I said, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share on your favorite podcast app. Get in touch with me on my website, shalomkline.com. Check out our sponsors, Tom Arabali at healthplanchicago.com. But that's a wrap for us here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. Until then, to success, let's get down to business. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.